friends, and welcome to the Crypt of Horrors. I'm your host, Wolf Dan. And today we're going to be talking about the 1985 zombie classic, Return of the Living Dead. This was my introduction to the zombie film at the ripe old age of six. This was also the pioneering zombie film that introduced the craving for brains. Return of the Living Dead is a 1985 horror film that is also considered a horror comedy. Directed by Dan O'Bannon, the movie has a cult following and is known for its unique take on the zombie genre. The top billed cast include Tom Matthews as Freddy, James Karen as Frank, Clue Gulliger as Bert, Don Culfa as Ernie, Brian Peck as Scuzz, Scream Queen Linnea Quigley as Trash, Alan Trotman as the fan favorite Tarman zombie, Jonathan Terry as Colonel Glover, Beverly Randolph as Tina, Jules Shepard as Casey, John Philbin as Chuck, Miguel Nunez as Spider, and Mark Venturini as Suicide. Fair warning, spoilers ahead. The film begins with Frank and Freddy working at the United Medical Supply Warehouse preparing for shutdown on the 4th of July. They encounter several containers labeled trioxin, which contain a toxic gas that reanimates the dead. Frank tells Freddy about a 1969 incident which he says inspired the George Romero film Night of the Living Dead. Frank claims it was a military experiment that was covered up involving trioxin accidentally reanimating corpses. They were contained, or so they thought. In a series of mishaps and plain ignorance, Frank accidentally releases the trioxin gas into the warehouse, reanimating a cadaver. Hey, these things don't leak, do they? Leak? Hell no. These things were made by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Oh, fuck! Not surprisingly, they kind of get knocked out from the gas. After they come to, Frank realizes the glass on the canister is busted and the cadaver's gone. When Freddy asked about it, he said it probably just disintegrated. As they head back upstairs, hacking from inhaling the fumes, Frank starts spraying Lysol, trying to mask the smell. Suddenly they hear barking from the other side of the warehouse and go to check it out, only to find that one of the split dogs has suddenly reanimated. In a panic, he grabs a crutch and starts beating it, trying to kill it again. They then hear screaming coming from the storage room where they hold the cadavers. The cadaver that you saw reanimating during the opening credits is now beating on the door and screaming trying to get out. Frank, in a panic, worried about his job and the company's reputation, decides to call Bert, hoping he may have an idea to bail them out. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our spooky sponsors. Welcome back to a howling good time on the Crypt of Horrors. Freddy's crew, looking for a place to party, decides the cemetery would be a good spot, with Trask saying, oh, let's do that. Suicide busts the lock, and they decide to venture into the cemetery and set up their boombox. Then Trash, 
the stunning Linnea Quigley, decides to get all philosophical. Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying, you know, violently? I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Mm. Well, for me, the worst way would be for a bunch of old men to get around me and start fighting and in the next scene, this six-year-old boy lost his innocence. First, they would tear off my clothes. Let's get some light over here. In this scene, the character Trash gets completely naked and starts to dance on the tombstone. Nowadays, many of you may want to judge my parents for this. Maybe that's fair, but back in the 80s, really wasn't that big of a deal. Now picture this, you're a horror fan, specifically a Romero fan, and you see an advertisement for Return of the Living Dead coming to the drive-in, and you want to take your family to see it. You see this crazy opening with all the stuff that has already happened. The split dogs, the, the trioxin, them breaking the canister open and everything. And then all of a sudden, this happens. Both of my parents go from munching on their snacks to turning around and trying to cover my eyes while I'm trying to fight them off. For those of you out there who want to judge my parents, to their credit, this was the last time I was allowed to watch this movie until I was like 16. I even almost tricked my dad a couple times when I saw the movie on VHS for sale at the video store and almost tricked him into buying it and then when he realized what it was, he's like, no, no. I started doing these conventions about five years ago and I'd always hoped that maybe I might run into Linnea at one of these conventions and tell her that story. Because, personally, I thought it was hilarious. I look back on that memory with fondness. I don't even remember what the second movie was. I just remember that. In many ways, I was a sheltered kid. I wasn't allowed to do a lot of things. But movies, I had liberty. I grew up watching these dead movies, The Nightmare on Elm Street, The Friday the 13th, Hellraiser, all that stuff. A couple of years ago, I saw that Linnea and a couple other uh, cast members were going to be at Scarefest in Kentucky, and I just had to go. Now, I don't know if she shares an opinion with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis on parents letting their kids watch horror movies, but I can tell you she laughed at my story. I regret not getting to meet Miguel Nunez and some of the others that were there, but I hope to get that opportunity in the future. Regardless, they all acted very nice and very fan-friendly, and if you get the opportunity to meet these guys at a convention, by all means, please do. Linnea was so kind, and Linnea, if you hear this and you remember our encounter, I apologize if I made you feel awkward with my fandom. In the next scene, Bert, played by Clue Gulliger, 
has made it back to the warehouse and is understandably losing his ever-loving mind. They're arguing about how they're going to solve their little problem, and in the background you can hear the cadaver screaming inside the cooler. Then they recall the tip from Nyla Living Dead about destroying the brain. Bert grabs a pickaxe and hands it to Frank and instructs him what to do with it and then has Freddy get ready to open the door. I just gotta say, this is like the perfect cast of characters. Frank is losing his mind. Freddy, just a new guy, don't know what he's gonna do. Just trying to take instruction from Bert who really don't know what he's doing either. For some reason, the door is locked with a combination lock. Um, Freddy attempts to open it while Bert is giving him the combination. And as the lock finally opens, the door bursts open. And all of a sudden, this completely naked cadaver just bursts through the door. And Frank panics, doesn't get him, and he tackles Bert. Now, my first time watching this, I thought, oh, he's done. Then Frank and Freddy come to the rescue and wrestle the cadaver off of him and pin him to the floor. They take the pickaxe to the head, but that doesn't work. So they're like, okay, maybe we need to separate the head. So they find the bone saw and start to remove his head. I guess this is where I can see the movie being labeled a comedy horror because as they finish sawing off his head... All of a sudden, the body pushes up from the floor while the head is just trying to munch the floor and starts bouncing around the warehouse and knocking stuff off the shelf and just trashing things. Clearly, you can't see this in this podcast, but my hopes with this show is uh, people who may not have seen these movies I'm going to talk about will get an interest in them through the show. That is the purpose of it. I really love James Karen in this. Uh, as terrifying as this movie already is, his comic relief, even if he's not trying to be funny, it is hilarious. But of course, every great horror movie usually has some kind of comic relief, and James Karen was on point. I would like to see some clips of what went on behind the scenes, because usually the behind-the-scenes antics are a lot of fun. This movie can be found to stream on apps like Tubi and also on YouTube through MGM+. I personally would strongly recommend just getting the DVD or especially the Blu-ray. And you get tons of nerd candy like uh, the audio commentary with the, the cast and crew, the audio commentary with the director and uh, the production designer. Several featurettes including The Return of the Living Dead, The Dead Have Risen, the Decade of Darkness featurette, Designing the Dead featurette, you get the theatrical trailers, the bloody version, even bloodier version, in their own words, the zombies speak, and just to further prove how awesome this movie is, you even get zombie subtitles for the film. One of the things I learned from the commentary with the director and the production designer that I'm still not sure if every fan knows about yet is uh, apparently when... Trash was dancing naked on the tombstone. They had to cast a prosthetic crotch. When they were filming this scene, the producer came on set and said, Whoa, we can't do this. So they had the makeup artist cast a prosthetic crotch for her. They kind of mock it, talking about how 
it's basically featureless and everything, but still looks good on film. Now, when Bert realizes that destroying the brain is not going to stop it, cutting it up is not going to stop it, he then tries to think of something else desperate and remembers that his buddy across the street has a crematorium. Yeah, great idea. I mean, if you really think about it, you can't judge him for this idea because wouldn't we think of the same thing? We wouldn't be thinking about the chemical going up into the air as the body's burning and showering down acid rain on the cemetery and reanimating corpses. In the next scene, we're back at the cemetery where Trash is still prancing around completely naked. Uh, and then Suicide has this whole spill about how his look is not just a look, but it's a way of life. I gotta say, he's got more willpower than I do, because uh, with what she was doing in that scene, I don't know if I could have threw her away the way he did. Next, Bert, Frank, and Freddy arrive next door at the mortuary, where Ernie is preparing a corpse. I gotta wonder if that was done on purpose. Bert and Ernie... Maybe that's some more of this movie's uh, comic relief that I just didn't understand at six years old. But while Frank is opening the door, Ernie has headphones on and is completely oblivious to what is going on around or behind him while he's working on a corpse. When Bert gets closer and grabs Ernie to get his attention, uh, Ernie draws his gun from his side. It's Ernie's attention. Uh, he has Frank and Freddy bring in the bag of something moving as they lay the bag on the floor. He, and they start to open it. You see all these other small bags inside there just flapping around and stuff. And Ernie's like, what is this? Bert tells him it's rabid weasels. Bert attempts to explain away what's really going on by saying that they were misshipped rabbit weasels and that they need to dispose of them and is asking for Ernie's crematorium. Of course, Ernie rightly protests, calling it cruel, saying you don't burn animals alive. Then Bert is forced to level with them with the possibility of facing ridicule. Because who's going to believe this? Also, if you pay attention while this scene is playing out, you can tell that Frank and Freddy aren't feeling so hot. They look like they're coming down with the flu. Or maybe worse. So, the party in the cemetery was cut short by the acid rain that started pouring down as a result of them cremating the cadaver and the fumes going up the chimney flue. So with the car roof leaking and Trash having no clothes on, Scuzz attempts to uh, fix the issue, but uh, of course, like any average man trying to please a woman, fails. It looks like he pokes the car roof, causing it to just rip, and I am assuming it's because of the acid rain, the chemical uh, that is in the air and causing it to rain right now, I'm assuming it's just eating right through the roof. So, while all this is going on, and Frank, Freddy, and Bert are at the uh, crematorium solving their problem, uh, Tina makes her way to the Anita warehouse, where she thinks Freddy is. Um, y you see a scene with a really creepy alley and stuff, and it, it's unsettling. But then you see her go into the warehouse, and if you remember, the one canister was broken open. 
In this scene, we are introduced to the fan favorite infamous Tar Man, and we hear the phrase BRAINS for the first time. Who's there? So this is the first time I actually remember as a kid actually getting scared of a movie. Um, my dad was a drywall finisher, so he drove a 1970 or 80 something large Ford van. Uh, it was big enough to have like back seats and have all his tools back there. And I, I just remember kind of like being in the back and seeing this transpire. Uh, Tina looking through the basement and seeing the crate opened and. Then picking the wrong curtain, and Tara Man makes his debut. And I just remember uh, falling backwards into the back of the van. What's funny is, I, I know I had seen horror stuff before this, but this is the first time I actually remember being scared. And I liked it. It was like a drug. So Tina gets away from Tarman and dashes up the steps. And you, you notice that step that Frank earlier said to avoid. Uh, of course, she falls through it and you see Tarman coming up the steps toward her. And she's just struggling trying to fight her way back up. As she's struggling, you hear Tarman calling for brains. Live brains. What? Looking back, it is hilarious, and then you see her just giving up and falling through the steps because it just made more sense than trying to struggle with Tarman progressing behind her. So she manages to find this little closet to lock herself inside, and she uses this pipe to run through the handle to actually secure herself. And then you see Tarman kind of looking through there, and he's thinking. And then it goes to a scene where her crew is running toward the same building to try to get out of the rain. And then you see Tarman actually using this winch system, uh, dragging a chain along to attach to the door to pull it down. This, I believe, is the first movie where you see zombies actually using some level of intelligence. Unfortunately, this is where suicide meets his demise. As they enter the building, they hear screams from downstairs, so they decide to follow the screams, and they see a chain being pulled across, which rips the doors off from where Tina's hiding, and Suicide looks across and sees this curtain and just kind of rips it back, and Tarman's there, and he's just like, brains, and he grabs Suicide, pulls him in, and just takes the bite out of his head. I'm kind of taking a trip down memory lane here and just remembering my reaction to the scene where Tarman just takes a bite out of Suicide's head and you just see him slinging him on the ground in a pool of blood and he just starts eating his brains and all of a sudden Spider takes this empty paint can and chucks it at Tarman hoping for some kind of reaction but all he does is uh, backs up and he's like, MORE BRAINS! They all panicking dash up the stairs. 
and Spider is left to try to hold the door and tries calling out to them, screaming obscenities at them and trying to get them to help him hold the door. We cut back to the crematorium where we see the ambulance is arriving and the paramedics come inside and start running tests on Frank and Freddy. The paramedics are drilling Bert, trying to find out what they were exposed to, what the chemical was and stuff, and of course he's him hauling around trying to cover his tail. The medics are checking their blood pressure, taking their temperature, and getting confused because they're not having any readings. The medics are looking at each other confused, wondering why they're not getting a reading, questioning the equipment. They swap and double check each other just to make sure that it's the equipment. The one medic checks Frank's pulse to find no pulse. No blood pressure, no pulse. They step to the side to discuss with one another the situation only to cause Freddy to panic. And as the story progressively escalates, I think this is a good spot to take a break. I want to take this opportunity to welcome you to the Anthology of Horror Podcast Network. Leading the way is the Anthology of Horror Podcast, hosted by Spring Hill Jack, where he scours the corners of the internet, whether it be Reddit or Creepypasta, to bring you the spookiest tales. Then we have Demented Darkness and Dark Side of the Nerd, hosted by Scary Jerry, who brings you scary stories and tales from the dark side of Hollywood. That's Scary with two R's and Jerry with two R's. If entertaining game streaming is your thing, then check out Foxhound43 on Rumble. And now, at long last, after over a month of prepping, you are finally listening to the Crypt of Horrors, hosted by Wolfdan. And if there's one piece of advice I could give to anyone out there seeking to start their own podcast, don't get Chromebook. And lastly, I invite you to sink your teeth into some merch at AOHPmerch.com. Now as things really begin to escalate in Return of the Living Dead, let's get back to our story. Back at the warehouse, the crew argue amongst each other about what they're going to do about the situation. They decide to brave the weather and head to the morgue next door. Cutting through the cemetery that is being flooded by acid rain, they suddenly hear moans coming from the graves. As they vainly seek shelter, the camera cuts to a tombstone showing a skeleton coming out of the ground. As it rises up and his jaw drops, a song asks this question, Do you want a party? Don't judge me, I never claim to be a singer. In a panic, they flee in different directions, leaving trash behind. Tina falls into a puddle, and looking off to her side, sees these corpses coming out of the ground. Spider and Scuzz notice her and come to her rescue. Poor Trash, being left behind in the panic, finds herself all alone, being surrounded by a bunch of old men. Does this story sound familiar? As they attack, you just see her disappear screaming into the dog pile. We cut to a very sick-looking Frank and Freddy. Frank is clearly freezing, and 
the paramedics are trying to explain to them the situation, talking about how they have no pulse, no blood pressure, and how they're at room temperature. They're confused because according to their instruments, they're dead, but clearly they're not. Are they? Freddy's crew shows up at the morgue, banging on the door and screaming, begging to be let in, uh, to be greeted by Ernie, opening the door with a gun in their face. In a panic, they begin to explain to him how the dead are coming out of the ground. We cut to the paramedics heading outside to the squad to phone in the call, only to get attacked by a horde of zombies. Back inside, the crew is trying to find a way to get out of there without being attacked. Ernie mentions having a car, and he's going to try to get to it. Tina notices Freddy and runs to his side and starts questioning what happened to him. Inside, Ernie notices the ambulance with the doors open, but no medics. Investigating the scene, he closes the door only to find what appears to be a dwarf zombie munching on one of the medics. He fires his gun at him twice, knocking him down, only for him to roll around, get back up, and start chasing him on the stumps as he flees back inside the morgue. This flick definitely has its funny moments. Rushing inside, Ernie slams the door shut, locking it, and starts dropping the shutters over the windows, trying to keep them out. Run through the morgue, trying to secure everything, trying to find the phone to try to call for help. Only to find that the phone is dead, so then they make a mad dash trying to secure everything, trying to board up windows, trying to keep the dead out. In vain. Got to the outside to see a zombie munching on one of the medics, to have dispatch coming over the radio asking if they need assistance for the zombie to get up and actually grab the radio and, and ask them to send more paramedics back inside as they try to secure things freddy's complaining about his muscles cramping up and stuff basically he's experiencing rigor mortis he pulls his shirt up to confirm the bruising signs of rigor mortis a panicked scuzz screams at him, saying that you're dead, man, you're dead, and you're going to become one of those things out there, causing Freddy to scream in panic. Then we see the other paramedics pull up, just to immediately be attacked. This movie is officially off to the races. Back inside, they fight in vain to secure the windows. Scuzz gets a little too close to a window, and gets pulled outside by a corpse. As they struggle to save him and try to pull him back in, one corpse takes a chunk out of his head. They struggle to pull them both back inside and cut the corpse off at the torso. Ernie has this idea where he wants to interrogate it, so they take it to a table and strap it down. Naturally, Spider is terrified and questioning the integrity of the straps. Ernie, insisting it's safe, begins to ask it questions, asking if it can hear him asks why they eat people and the corpse clarifies we don't eat people we eat brains to this point is a first in a zombie horror movie why do you eat people not people brains brains only yes why the pain what about the pain the pain of as if this film hasn't been awesome enough already, in this scene we witness cinematic history. 
the corpse on the table, not to kill the illusion, but is a fantastic puppet. Um, the detail in it is just incredible. Spider calls Burton Ernie aside, haha, to question how they can kill these things, and Ernie tells him, "You can't kill them." Bert says, "They're already dead." The hope you have is to chop them all up and burn them all, but how are you supposed to do that to a hundred plus zombies outside? And I like how Bert puts this. He said that you can't kill them; they're already dead. They're not alive. They're animated. That is an interesting way to put that. Next, you remember Trash who got her dream of being torn apart by a bunch of old men? Well, now she's rising from the grave. If you've never thought you could get the hots for a zombie, watch Return of the Living Dead. Next, we see a homeless man pushing a cart when he notices a very naked Trash coming toward him. Not knowing any better, he just stands there and watches as she comes up upon him and attacks. Not gonna lie, I think I'd just stand there and let her eat me too. We then cut to dispatch trying to reach out to the two EMS vehicles that have disappeared. Then we cut to Casey and Chuck doing what any of us would do, looking for some kind of hope, when Casey admits to him that she's never liked him. But then she embraces him saying she don't want to die like this. Back in the mortuary, a very sick-looking Frank and Freddy, who are looking very pale, are just freezing and shivering, and the rest of them are talking about containing them to protect the rest of them. He speaks up against that notion. They come up with the idea of locking them up in the chapel to quarantine them and protect everyone else when the inevitable happens. They try to reason with Tina to come with them, but she insists on staying with Freddy. It is during this time when they officially die. Cut to police cars showing up, getting attacked, and then noticing about how everyone who shows up gets attacked, and another zombie getting on the radio and asking for more cops. We cut back to Frank and Freddy screaming in pain until suddenly he stops. Freddy then lunges at Tina, trying to attack her, as Frank heads toward the door. His thoughts are on the crematorium, as the rest bust in the door trying to protect them while Frank sneaks out. Bert hits Freddy across the face with a pipe, knocking him down. He plays unconscious, then tries to lunge back up as Ernie splashes acid in his eyes. Distracts him long enough for them to be able to escape and lock the door back the rooms of the mortuary that is being attacked on all sides. They attempt to barricade the door and in the process Ernie breaks his ankle. Freddy manages to bust through the chapel doors as Spider and Bert make a run for one of the cop cars. They try driving into one of the doors to try to rescue the others but they keep getting lynched on all sides from the horde. The flee causing Tina to go into a panic saying that they left us that they had to, but they're going to go for help. 
No matter where they go, they are lynched on all sides by the hordes of zombies. In a panic, they run into a wall, causing the car to catch on fire, having to flee the car into the building. We then see a blinded Freddy going room to room, knocking everything down, not being able to see, but trying to make his way to Tina. In the embalming room, Ernie sets up a stepladder for him and Tina to go up into the attic. Freddy on the other side, banging on the door and screaming, and then it cuts to a gory image of his face. Incredible makeup job. We then cut to a scene where a repented Frank is firing up the crematorium and taking off his wedding ring and kissing it and then uh, making the sign of the cross. And In an interview, he told Dan O'Bannon that uh, he wanted to be a good Catholic and make the sign of the cross before basically committing suicide. He then lays himself on the table and shoves himself inside, closing the door on himself, and you just hear screams. Inside, you see lines of cop cars getting attacked by hordes of zombies. They even have a helicopter trying to get eyes on the ground to try to get a handle on the situation. The helicopter announces that anyone wanting to uh, seek rescue needs to make themselves known now. So Bernie, trying to go into the office to uh, get the phone is warned that there's a creature inside there that he can't get to the phone. He says there's another one in the basement and they inform him that the basement's messed up too. To the inside of the attic where Ernie starts to show his true colors as he's backing away into a corner and then pulling Tina toward him as a shield. Climbing the ladder and trying to bust his way through the door to the attic, you see Ernie reaching for a gun and slowly putting into Tina's head like a coward. You see Spider prying the nail out of the board that's holding the basement door locked. Tarman then busts the door open. Bert, holding a baseball bat, knocks his block off. Make a mad dash down to the basement, closing the door behind them. And Bert goes to the phone to call the police and dispatch connects him to the police that have a barricade set up. And Bert is begging them to come get them out of there. And then all of a sudden you just hear over the phone where these hordes of zombies are attacking the police barricade, taking them all out. Looks around to notice the number to the military on the open canister of trioxin. Dispatch connects him to Colonel Glover. And earlier in the movie, Colonel Glover has been waiting for this moment. Ending for our friends. Sir, this is Colonel Glover. I'm sorry to disturb you at this hour, sir, but we're at Q2 status. It looks like we've found that lost consignment of Easter eggs. Uh, yes, sir, pretty sure. Uh, they've turned up in Louisville. I'm getting confirmations on this from the Louisville Police Department. Uh, Louisville, Kentucky, sir. Well, sir, it would be good news, except that the eggs have hatched. What are you doing, man? Hang on a second, would you? Oh, it's weird. These people seem to say they have been waiting for this to happen. Apparently, they got some sort of uh, contingency plan to deal with. Huh? Well, that's great. What is this plan? Sergeant Jefferson, 42nd Special Mobile Artillery. Yes, sir. Good morning to you, too, sir. Yes, sir. All right, sir. Whatever you say, sir. The code numbers, please, sir. Archimedes, hot dog, rhubarb, niner, zero, niner. Gotcha, sir. Barry, 
Range, mark, 134 miles. Range, 134 miles. Results, sir. Very close to optimal placement. Well, sir, only 20 square blocks destroyed. Less than 4,000 dead, General. I wouldn't worry about the fires, General. The rain is taking care of that right now. Well, there have been complaints about burning skin, but I shouldn't worry. Uh, minor irritation, General. Uh, the rain will wash everything away. That's correct, sir. All should be back to normal by morning. Yes, sir. I understand the President will visit Louisville tomorrow. No, no, we wouldn't want that to happen, sir. No, sir, this hasn't been very pleasant for anyone. Thank you, sir. Good night, sir. Heard there, the plan they had in motion was a missile that they had ready for this occasion that was launched to the target area, killing everybody. But in doing so, it also started everything right back over again. As you heard about the rain washing everything away, it was the same rain that started the whole nightmare. And that is the end of The Return of the Living Dead. Return of the Living Dead has redefined a genre, spawned four sequels and several copycats, and influenced countless other zombie movies. And a rumored reboot is in the works. Not a remake, but a reboot, which is supposed to take it back to the roots of the film. Not remaking it, but actually reviving the existing franchise. I will, of course, be doing a deep dive into the other movies in the future. Um, some were good. Some were fun. Some were not so great, but we will get into them in the future. So if you're a horror fan, and in particular a zombie horror fan, I can't highly recommend enough to see this movie. It's one of my favorites. If you haven't seen it, I implore you to seek it out. It can be found on some streaming apps. I, I, I believe I've seen it on Shudder and Tubi as well. Um, I would recommend getting the physical media. I have the Blu-ray copy that has... All the special features on there. It's got the behind-the-scenes featurettes, the commentaries and everything. That's where I learned a lot of the stuff I know about the movie. I do hope you enjoyed this show. A lot of effort went into this. A lot of fighting with my uh, technology, which I fully intend to upgrade. Going into this, the issue with compatibility, but I'm learning some things. But if you're like me and you enjoy podcasts, and in particular horror podcasts, can't get enough of them, then I'd like to turn you on to a few more other than uh, Dark Side of the Nerd and Demented Darkness and uh, Anthology of Horror. Horror 421, the podcast. Other than those, a uh, few of the ones I personally enjoy are uh, Serial Killers, Haunted Places, Weird Darkness with host 
Darren Marler and the couple of shows that a personal friend of mine puts on are uh, Weekly Spooky and Freddy's Nightmares. It's a Nightmare on Elm Street, the series retrospective. Those are done by a local indie film director from Dayton, Ohio, uh, named Enrique Cuto. That's Enrique with an H. And lastly, I'd like to dedicate this episode to the memory of my dad. Uh, I may have gotten into horror regardless, but he was definitely the one who was the catalyst. Really hope you enjoyed it. My plans are to put a show out every week. We'll see how it goes with the technology I have. Because it's taken me a while to do this one. But thank you very much for listening and I hope you enjoyed it.